I've watched it twice uh, earlier the service, and Carl, every time you got me, man, thanks. <laughs> that is beautiful. Uh, friends, we are continuing our journey um, with uh, this sermon series or this focus that we're going to have for the next several weeks. Is uh, We're calling it WW-D. Uh, what would Jesus do? We all know what Jesus would do, but the question that we are asking ourselves is, what would I do? What would each one of you do in a certain situation. Last week, uh, we established the fact that we all know what Jesus would do, right? We all know that, but yet we know what Jesus would do, but then we do whatever we want to do, uh, was uh, how we ended, uh, how we began last week. So we're looking at the book of James and we're looking at some of the uh, life scenarios that James is talking about. Uh, and asking us that question, what would I do? How would I respond uh, to this situation? How would I respond to this particular challenge uh, in my own life? Last week, uh, we, uh, as a quick recap of the sermon from last week, last week we looked at the story uh, of James as he was writing to all those who were not home. Uh, we looked at that, what does it mean not to be home? Not to be home, away from home and facing challenges and trials and we were reminded that Christian life is like the Israelites living in exile uh, away from home wanting something and we were reminded and we were told uh, when we go through difficult and challenging times during that time that we will be better for it that there is some fruit that God is going to create in the midst of those trials and those challenges and that God walks with us God does not create those challenges, but rather God produces something beautiful, something fruitful, despite the many challenges that we face. And we ended with this, what would I do? What would Dash do? Do we just listen to the sermon? Do we just listen to God's word and do whatever we please? Or are we listeners and doers of the word? So that was last week that we focused on. And today... Um, is um, we were we heard in the videos we we're talking about favoritism playing favorites is not a good thing there is a uh, a parenting tale from the old testament uh it's a story about um rebecca and her two sons rebecca had two sons named esau and jacob and their dad was isaac and rebecca loved jacob more than esau jacob was a clear favorite and Jacob deceived uh, her oldest son, Esau, so that all the blessings could go to Jacob. She tricked her own husband to give all the blessings to one son over the other. This story is well documented in parenting books all over that showing favoritism is not a good thing. That when you show favoritism, bad things happen. As parents, you need to treat all kids equally. Can I get an amen? And yes, one thing you would think that a practicing social worker would know not to show favoritism because first it's in the Bible and it's known in all over the world uh, that f showing favoritism is not good for your kids. But my wife, Kristen, who's a social worker, is well aware of the psychological impacts that has on kids when you show favoritism. She knows she is completely aware of it. My oldest daughter, Samara, she put her number in her mom's phone this way, Samara, favorite child. 
Yes, it is bad. You're not supposed to do that. But if you talk to my son, my oldest son, Elijah, and just take him aside and talk about, hey, who's the favorite? He's like, I'm mom's favorite. And same thing with Annika, my second daughter. And you know, talk to her and she'll give you 20 million reasons why she is the favorite. Mom takes me shopping all the time. She does. She and mom got a facial the other day. They put some stuff on there. I think it was paper. But anyway, you know, and she truly believes she's a favorite. And if you talk to my youngest son, it's not even a question worth discussing. His name is Josiah, named after a king. And he thinks he himself is a king. <laughs> of course, he's going to be the favorite. He's the king. For his eighth birthday, he turned eight this year, and he said, my reign begins here, is what he told us. Right? Like, it's, it's crazy. Right? You know, dysfunction or dysfunction and this, uh, this thing happening in my family is because Kristen, from an early age, she told every kid, when no one else was around, you're my favorite. <laughs> you are my favorite. Friends, some people save for their kids' college, some people save for special events or helping them buy a house or something, we are saving for therapy. So play, pray for us, right? Playing favorites, playing favorites. We see this all over. No matter who you are, we have our favorites. We have our favorite team. Go Eagles. Any Eagles fans? All right, all right. So, all right. So no matter where, no matter where you are, you have your favorite. And this is the thing about favoritism, the way it works, is when you have a favorite, when you have a favorite, there is a preferential treatment. There is extra grace given. It's not dispensed to everybody, but to this one person, extra gay grace is dispensed. The same rules that apply to everybody don't apply here. And I believe Playing favorites is a human condition. Whether you're a parent, an uncle, or a teacher, or a friend. You don't mind bending the rules for your favorite person. Just a little something. Okay. All right. Just for you. I'll do this. Right? That, that's what we do. This morning's scripture is talking about preferential treatment to the rich. How... The church of Christ should not give preferential treatment. Jesus is addressing an issue. James is addressing an issue that was found in the church, in the early church. This church started, we think this church might have been 10 or 15 years old. And there's something that was happening in this church that the author of James is saying, you cannot do this. You cannot give preferential treatment to certain type of people. That's what James saying to us. Hear these words again from James chapter 2. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read those words again. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you must not show favoritism. Here James is establishing to the people that he's writing that these are believers. They are part of the church. They believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's telling them, you are not allowed to show favoritism. Verse 2, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you. But to the poor man, you say, stand there. Or sit by the floor. 
Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Here the word assembly that he is using, that James is using, refers to a gathering, refers to church, synonymous to church or a synagogue worship. And here we see this image of some people standing and some people sitting down at the table. When I think about that image of people standing out there and some sitting, I'm reminded of what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. This comes to us in 1 Corinthians 11. This is what Paul is saying. Paul actually is a little ticked off. He's pretty angry at the Corinthian church because of what they were doing. He, do, he doesn't mince words. He's, you can hear his anger at reading from 1 Corinthians 11:17. In the following directives i have no praise for you you can hear it right i have no praise for you for your meetings do more harm than good in the first place i hear that when you come together as a church there are divisions among you and some extend i believe it no doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you has god's approval so then when you come together is it not the Lord's Supper you eat? For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not. Not in this matter. Here, Paul is pretty angry and upset with the people of Corinth. He's saying that people are having private dinners as they were celebrating the Lord's Supper. And at the same time, some were hungry. In order to understand what Paul is saying here, we need to kind of have a mind's eye or imagine what the Greco-Roman architecture was about as to how they built homes. In the city of Corinth, you would see homes built this way, where there would be a big porch. If this was a big porch out here, there would be a table where you could sit and eat. And this would be the front yard. And so as these church people gathered together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, what they started doing is they started inviting those who were wearing fine clothes, like James talks about, with gold rings. They would invite them to come sit at the table. That they would sit at the table and they would break bread and drink. While those who were poor, those who were slaves, they would be standing in the front yard watching what was happening in front of them. The church was discriminating people based on how they looked on the outside. Those who were dressed well sat at the table and ate. And those who were poor or slaves would stand in front of them. And Paul says some actually left hungry. While others ate. We're told we're not allowed to discriminate. Based on our outward appearances. That's what James is calling us not to do. You're not allowed to discriminate 
those based on our external appearance. James says, takes it a step further. He just doesn't say there. He talks about the royal law. If you read James 2, the royal law that is stated in James chapter 2 is actually part of the statement of Mount Hope United Methodist Church. We as a church uh, declare this. Someone says, what is your church about? We say that we are here to love God, to love others, and serve. This is what we as a church are chasing. The royal law, according to James, is to love our neighbor. The reason those statements are familiar to all of us here is because when Jesus was teaching, a lawyer came to him and he said, and he was trying to trick Jesus, this lawyer. And he came to Jesus and he said, what is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? Because he wanted to one-up Jesus and say, well, what, about, what do you think about this? And to which Jesus responded by saying this. The greatest commandment is this, is to love God and your neighbor. We're, God, we're called to love our God and we are called to love our neighbor irrespective of what the external appearances are. When we break this law, we're called sinners. When we give preferential treatment based on an outward appearance, friends, it is a sin. There's no two ways of looking at it. When you make a judgment or you treat someone based on how they look or what they wear, it is a sin. Friends, I want to take it a little bit further and connect it with what Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount that comes to us from Matthew chapter 5. Jesus, when he was teaching, he used a formula as to what the new law was all about. Jesus had this formula where it said, you've heard it said, but I say to you. It was this formula that he would use constantly. You have read in the Old Testament, this was the law, but I say to you. You're familiar with that. For example, Jesus said, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look at another person with lust, you have committed sin. See, this is the basis for all Christian teaching. We are called to be righteous both in our thoughts and in our deeds. I believe that the Lord that we call and we are called to serve is calling us to both thoughts and actions. When it comes to how we treat our neighbor based on external appearances. Do we have kind thoughts or thoughts of judgment when we see our neighbor? James is saying, you cannot keep saying that you are a Christian, that you are keeping the law and yet failing in this area. He says that if you fail in this area of not keeping the royal law, you failed at keeping all of God's commandments. James is calling us to love our neighbor. Showing love to our neighbor is important. We are called to love. This is what Christ is calling us to do this morning. A few years ago, I met somebody at a church. Not in this church, but in another church that I was serving. This gentleman and I had a lot in common. He was not my age. He was a few years older than me. But we hit it off. Uh, we met several times at church discussing various things uh, about ministry. He was truly a partner to me. I really enjoyed working with him. 
It was one of those unique uh, relationships that I had with them. We just gelled and glued together right away. We just kind of hit it off. You know, we would sit down and brainstorm about different projects. And we would like, I would try to kind of paint the big picture. This is what we are trying to do. And he was good to kind of reflect back and say, well, should we consider this? And we had such a wonderful time working together. He was able to both provide, like, help me see that big picture, but also help provide some practical help that I needed in order to carry out the ministry that we were dreaming about. He was a good guy. One day he asked me to come to his house. We were working on a project. I had no idea where I was driving. I was just driving along, following the directions. And I arrived at his house. And when I pulled into the driveway, I was a little stunned. Quite honestly, I didn't know what to expect. When I got out of the driveway, I was stunned. He was living in a pretty huge house. I remember saying this to myself. Man, this guy is loaded. To that point, I had no idea of his personal wealth. I never even thought about his personal wealth. But at that moment, when I got out of my car and got to his house, I put him in a category of being rich. It was a nice suburban neighborhood. It was beautiful. And I often wondered why I did that. I went into his house and we talked and we talked about the project that we were doing and it was going great. He at one point said, don't worry about it. I'll put everything in Excel and we're good. You know, because everything happens in Excel. Just saying. He was that good. He was that good. But why did I give him value? Why did I give him value? Why did I say this guy is loaded? This is what this experience taught me. This taught me the whole concept of favoritism. This is how I've come to realize and see. I believe there are three categories or three platforms. There's a platform that you and I stand. Nora, if you could walk up, please. There's a platform that you and I stand. This is where we stand most of the time. This is based on our understanding of who we are, of what we do, how we see the world. And then there are others who we put in a pedestal. When I, go ahead. When I said, this guy is rich. This guy is loaded. I've moved him in my mind from standing next to me to this other category where he was a little higher. He had something more than what I had. Then I, then I realized that the more I think about life, there's another thing that we do is we put others below us as well. We put certain people above us and we put certain people below us. It's based on their appearance, what they wear, how they talk. The person's not right, wearing the right clothes. The person looks funny. That person seems odd. We do this. We do this often. 
if I was here and I was having a conversation with Nora, I'd be looking at her and thinking, oh my gosh, she is a high school senior. I hope, you know, she likes, thinks that I'm a funny pastor, that I can, you know, give her a good message and crack a joke. I hope she likes me. Like, those are all my internal thoughts because I've placed her up there. And then she is actually looking down on me and saying, oh my gosh, what is this pastor doing? <laughs> what is wrong with him? Look at his tie. Can someone take him shopping? Right? We're constantly doing this where you can get down where we're lifting people and pulling people down. James 2.9, if you show favoritism, you sin. Here's the good news, friends. Nora, if you can help me with this. Here is the good news. Go ahead and hold that at the bottom. When we come to the table, there are no platforms. There are no platforms. Everybody who comes to this table stands equal. They just stand right here. Because this is a table of grace. When we come to this table, we are all in need of God's grace. Where we are all our broken people in need of God's grace. Friends, this morning I want to invite you to come to this table. Whether you have placed people higher or lower, or whether someone placed you higher or someone placed you lower, this is the table that makes us all equal because this table reminds us that we are loved, that you are loved. No matter what, no matter who you are, you are loved by God and you are given grace. Friends, this morning I want to invite you to come to this table.